Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. Season 5 is a collaboration between Musawa and Women of the Middle East podcast. As we will be discussing Musawa's latest book, Justice and Beauty in Muslim Marriage, Towards Egalitarian Ethics and Laws, published by One World Academic in December of 2022. My name is Amal Malki, I'm a feminist, scholar, and an educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast season 5, in which we go through the chapters of the recently published book, Justice and Beauty in Muslim Marriage. In the previous episodes, we talked to authors who contributed to the first two sections of the book, reconstructing marriage as a constitution based on justice, and beauty, compassion, equity, through ethically-based and holistic interpretations of the Qur'an and Hadith. Today we focus on section 3, Islamic Legal Theory and Ethics, which consists of three chapters. These chapters focus on ethics and Islamic legal tradition in theory and practice, proposing new approaches to interpretation that preserve principles and standards within tradition while addressing today's needs contexts and standards. I'm happy to have Dr. Naveen Rida joining us to speak about her chapter in section three titled The Reform of Usul al-Fiqh and Marriage, a Spiritually Integrative Approach. Dr. Naveen, lovely to have you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be with you on this podcast. Thank you. Um, Dr. Naveen, what attracted you to this project and What do you want to achieve from this project as both a scholar, a researcher, and a woman? Oh, that's a big question. So there's a lot of things that attracted me uh, to this project. But um, as I'm sure uh, you're aware, there's a great need for justice within uh, Muslim societies. Uh, We've seen it in the Arab Spring. You know, people are really crying out and calling for justice. And without um, justice uh, in the institution of marriage, there really can't be any justice in society because that's the the building block of any society. It's the first and most important of all human relationships. So if you don't develop that value of justice within that really um, foremost human uh, relationship, you're you're not going to see it in the rest of society. So uh, this is really one of the important things that um, attracted me to this project, uh, the importance of reintroducing justice uh, within um, the Muslim marriage. As you may be aware, as uh, I think I imagine uh, some of the other contributors have uh, spoken, uh, to to the topic, uh, justice uh, that marriage is conceptualized on the marriage on the model of slavery uh, within classical fiqh, where you have um, men providing money in return for uh, women's sexual availability, which really isn't um, a just uh, construction of marriage. And so, uh, what I'm trying to do here is reconceptualize marriage. Uh, in the form of uh, something similar to a school uh, for spiritual advancement where important values like fidelity and uh, justice and compassion get instilled. Um, So uh, people grow uh, spiritually on their path to to, uh, closeness to God. These are incredibly important 
for spiritual advancement, but also more generally for people's well-being and society. So that's really one of the important things that attracted me to this project. Historically, uh, much of our tradition has excluded the, con the scholarly contributions and perspectives of women. Um, my particular uh, area of expertise is Quran, although I also work in uh, ethical legal theory. Uh, but, but definitely when it comes to Quranic studies, um, uh, tafsir, exegesis, uh, you don't, I have not been able to find a single uh, uh, woman exegete, a, a single mufassira between the two Aishas, and that's Aisha, the Prophet Muhammad's wife, uh, may God be pleased with her. And uh, the 20th century exegete, uh, Aisha Abdurrahman. So not a single woman. So that's a really strange lack. Uh, and uh, it's one of the reasons why our tafsir, when it comes to women's issues, is so unbalanced. And so um, there's a huge gap between what the text is actually saying and between the interpretations that are attempted to be imposed upon them. Uh, upon the text. So uh, uh, one of the other things that really attracted me about this uh, project is the opportunities that it provides for women's scholarly contributions and women's perspectives, uh, which have historically been uh, so marginalized and continue to be uh, marginalized within uh, the masculinist uh, framework of uh, Quran and fiqh and a whole bunch of other disciplines. Absolutely. Um, in your chapter, you critically engage with traditional Islamic legal theory uh, through an Islamic feminist, spiritually uh, integrative approach to usul al-fiqh uh, that builds on an understanding of marriage as a site of spiritual growth uh, that better fits the needs of our time and applies to our context right uh, now in terms of marriage or divorce. How can we develop a modern Islamic legal theory that is authentic to the Quran's central message, yet addresses the needs of today? Ooh, well, obviously there's a need for spirituality and justice uh, today and all these uh, beautiful values. Um, so what, what I do, if, uh, if we want to go in depth into uh, the methodology that I'm proposing, so I'm uh, looking at the four main usul, uh, the four main principles, and re-envisioning them and, uh, in ways that are more in keeping with uh, the instructions and the directions and the teachings in the Qur'an. So uh, the four principles that I'm suggesting are similar to the old ones, the classical ones. The first is uh, Qur'an, obviously, although here too there's a major change, and it has to do with um, uh, insisting on closeness to the um, literal meaning of the text, and uh, instead of um, interpretations that don't quite fit, but fit uh, masculinist privilege. Uh, but also what's really very different here is the insistence on the importance of organization of the uh, of the text. So understanding the structure of each surah um, and understanding how each surah builds on the one before and, uh, uh, and understanding the importance and the rationale for the organization of the Quran. That's uh, really uh, the main contribution here. Uh, and then when it comes to the hadith, uh, uh, I also look at it as a uh, historical source for the example of the Prophet and as a secondary source that we can use with, uh, uh, together with reason or with the Qur'an, but not as an independent uh, source for ethical, legal uh, legislation. Uh, you know, uh, 
certainly not uh, in the sense of uh, uh, revelation equal uh, or over above uh, the Quran, as we see it sometimes used in uh, ethical legal theory, um, classical ethical legal theory. And then um, the third is Dalil uh, al-Aql uh, or reason. And uh, here too, I, I mean, I think we have some really fabulous uh, uh, tools for uh, doing ethical legal reasoning in the Islamic tradition, uh, you know, like istishab, istihsan, uh, you know, um, uh, istislah, you know, so many really excellent uh, tools. Uh, what I'm adding here is a new one, uh, which also stems from the Quran, because all of these theories, they stem from uh, contemplating the Quran and thinking about the Quran. So I'm also adding a new one, and I'm calling it istidal which basically means seeking justice. And uh, uh, what I do here is I look at the different terms that we have for justice in the Quran, like qust and adl, you know, equity, uh, looking at the vulnerabilities in uh, uh, society, which is what qust does, and adl, and uh, words like tatfif, and uh, uh, ensuring that we actually have a working principle that we, can, that we can use to ensure that we have justice within fiqh. Uh, which is, you know, justice is really a value that's quite absent there, especially gender justice. And uh, the fourth, uh, which is really the biggest change in uh, the theory that I'm proposing, and uh, it has to do with the consensus or ijma, and as uh, you may be aware, it's, the, it's a very important uh, principle in the classical tradition. Uh, unfortunately, when you look at the Quran, uh, the, the only occurrences of in, in the same form, in the same root, um, are all negative. Uh, I mean, you have uh, Noah's people coming to a consensus against him. You have Joseph's brothers coming to a consensus to throw him into a well. You have Pharaoh's magicians coming to a consensus against Pharaoh, uh, against uh, Moses. So in every instance, uh, consensus, uh, that word doesn't occur positively. So uh, I've um, retained the deliberative and consultative aspect of uh, ijma, but uh, re-envisioned it in the form of uh, uh, shura, which is a which means consultation, um, uh, and that is very uh, well represented in the Quran and positively represented in the Quran. Uh, so that's the biggest change. And it's also a lot more practical, and there are certain uh, steps uh, in contemporary fiqh, the way fiqh is done today with the collective ijtihad, uh, uh, the collective deliberations that we see in the various different fiqh councils. Uh, so there are steps uh, moving in that direction. Uh, so this is uh, b the basic framework uh, that I'm using uh, within my um, paper to uh, re-envision and uh, re-conceptualize and re-formulate -form uh, uh, the, the principles of uh, ethical legal theory in Islam. And you formulate this uh, framework, uh, you construct this framework through what you call a spiritually integrative approach. Could you tell us more about this approach and yeah. how you named it such a thing? Yeah, please. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, spiritually uh, integrative, uh, what it means is basically integrating the importance of spirituality again. It's connecting between fiqh and spiritual advancement. So uh, within the Islamic experience of spirituality, uh, you find several stages that uh, a self, a person or a soul goes through 
beginning with al-nafs al-ammara bisu which is the insightful self that insights to bad things and moving on to the uh, the uh, self-critical self the self that takes responsibility for its own actions uh, the ethical self uh, that's an-nafs al-lawama and so um in any path to spiritual advancement uh, ethics is and 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 good practices is incredibly important so what i'm doing is i'm integrating fiqh back into that holistic view of uh, human spirituality and human advancement and uh, it stems from also uh, my work on uh, structure of the Quran and style of the Quran and how i see its surahs uh, organized where you have uh, each surah building on the other and in, in, in contributing a very important um, spiritual growing edge uh, uh so so it also stems from my research on the Quran's interpretation whether Quran is really a spiritual pathway or a spiritual method um that reads uh, a self from uh you know an nafs al amara bisu the insightful self all the way to the uh, uh you know higher levels of of uh, the the self uh, each and each surah is a stage uh, within uh, that particular framework um you see uh, the quran mixing between you know practical instructions uh, and stories and uh, theological reflections and names of god so uh so it's a it's a integrated approach uh that i'm seeing uh utilized uh, there in the way uh, uh in the style of the quran and I'm really getting inspired from how the Quran is structured, uh, you know, surah after surah um, uh, to try and connect between fiqh and the practical instructions and the higher spiritual aims of closeness to God and realizations of the latent um divine qualities within a, a human being that can uh, serve uh, in their spiritual advancement. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. Um How do you view the relationship between the Quran and Hadith in deducing rulings, especially that we know uh, that in the history of Islamic feminism, some Islamic feminists have uh, uh, have uh, avoided uh, engaging with the Hadith in specific? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so for that question, so um, uh, I'm I'm I totally uh, have issues with. Uh, the principle as-sunnah qadiyah 'ala al-Qur'an wa nasikhah lahu which basically means the sunnah is a judge over the Quran and abrogates it so uh the meaning of this in practical terms is basically if you have a, a Quranic uh, text and you have a, a hadith um that are in conflict with each other that contradict each other that you basically take the hadith uh, over and above the Quran and uh throw the Quran aside So so this is a principle that I have uh, issues with and uh, we see it in action and fiqh we see it for example in the inheritance laws the foundation for inheritance in the Quran is in surah al-baqarah and it's testamentary inheritance it explains to people that um, they need to uh, give directions uh, before they die so that people know what to do uh, with their wealth or, the, or anything they leave behind To, to, to instruct people as to where and uh, it should go and who should get what. Um, and that's in Surah Al-Baqarah. And there are very strong uh, warnings against changing a person's will or, uh, you know, after they've passed away. And so um, that uh, 
very important text uh, has been, uh, you know, uh, abrogated uh, based on a hadith. Uh, and the hadith is uh, very unclear. It's short. I mean, it's a great hadith. I definitely uh, think very highly of it, but I think it's been misinterpreted because uh, hadith tend to be short, cryptic statements and uh, open to so many different interpretations. And we really do not have a methodology for uh, properly interpreting the hadith. Uh, so that's one of the examples um, uh, when it comes to my approach to hadith. I think we really need to focus on methodology of interpretation. Yes, there are so many hadith that are uh, uh, inauthentic and so many that are authentic, but we really need to focus more on interpretation uh, at this point in time because of, you know, there's absolutely, I mean, interpretation is a mess when it comes to hadith. Um, so uh, in, in the, the, my particular uh, methodology that I'm using, I'm using hadith as, uh, uh, as a, like I value hadith, especially as uh, historical uh, texts that can tell us something about the Prophet's example. For example, uh, when it comes to divorce, he totally uh, accepted uh, a woman's right to divorce a, an unwilling husband. Uh, you know, we have that in the example of Berira. Uh, for, for you know, which is I think incredibly important uh, to know that. So I think hadith are uh, important. However, uh, we do need to focus attention on interpretation. And I can give you other examples if you want, where we have uh, hadith uh, interpreted in, in ways that really don't fit uh, the Quranic meaning of words, and uh, all they do is assert male privilege. Um, how might this book, um, in your opinion, be relevant to activists and feminists on the ground working to reform laws uh, to help promote gender justice and gender equality in their communities? Okay, so um, many of the injustices that women are facing uh, when it comes to things like divorce, uh, when it comes to things like um, uh, inheritance, when it comes to things like, um, uh, you know, uh, wife, uh, domestic violence, uh, mistreatment, abuse, so many uh, problems in our legal systems um, are justified on the basis that this is Sharia and this is uh, God's will. And when women say, you know, this is really not the case, uh, uh, these texts have been misinterpreted. So you have uh, proponents of uh, and supporters of these injustices will often uh, play the methodology card. They'll tell you, well, you know what? I had really good methodologies and sound methodologies. And uh, uh, what methodology are you using? So that tends to be uh, a, a common uh, argument. So what I'm uh, doing actually in this book is really demonstrating the problems with our methodologies. Uh, you know, uh, in the way we interpret the Qur'an um, and in the relationship between the Qur'an and the Hadith, in the way we interpret Hadith, in uh, the absolute lack of justice in any of our, uh, you know, we don't have an independent asl, uh, an independent principle for justice. And also the problem with consensus, which really contributes rigidity 
uh, to our laws. So I'm looking at the pro the methodological problems uh, in our legal systems, uh, in our ethical legal uh, thinking, but I'm also uh, proposing solutions. Uh, so it's a constructive critique. So I'm, I'm not just saying, you know, um, uh, these don't work and let's just throw them out the window. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, these folks, they did good work. They have contributed valuable uh, uh, contributions. However, they're not enough uh, for our day and age. There is room for improvement. And, and this is what I'm trying to do. I'm, pro I'm pro providing and, and what all of our contributors are doing. They're providing solutions uh, to some of the problems uh, that we're facing. And uh, so it will help, hopefully, activists and practitioners on the ground uh, just by demonstrating uh, uh, the problems uh, that we have, but also some of the solutions. Absolutely. But what do you think we could do to help spread the word? Of course, we're doing that through this podcast. Um, uh, definitely, um, the book is going to be on uh, our leading list at the college. Uh, but what else as a feminist community could we do to distribute this knowledge uh, among our communities? Well, it's all about really uh, getting the word out. Um, uh, right now, women don't have uh, access to a lot of the uh, networks that are supported by, you know, governments and big money uh, uh, to promote uh, masculinist scholarship. Uh, we don't, and, and and they really don't want uh, room for women uh, within their uh, respective pulpits. I mean, uh, how often have you seen women imams in a, in a mosque, for example? Uh, so. Um, uh, so we really need to have uh, access to uh, getting our word out in the various different information uh, networks, hopefully also among youth, uh, because uh, they're really uh, motivated and uh, hopeful of seeing uh, change in their societies, of seeing justice in their societies and uh, these, you know, beautiful values that we see in the Qur'an actually implemented and actually uh, reflected in their lived experiences uh, in their uh, respective uh, contexts. So um, it's getting the word out, which you're doing, and so thank you very much for that. Um, and also uh, uh, challenging the domination of, uh, of men uh, when it comes to uh, religion and the interpretation of the religion and uh, religious leadership positions. Really need to see more women there. Uh, you know, for example, in so many of these fiqh councils, uh, the, most of them are constructed of only men. I mean, where there are no women there. If you look at, um, uh, you know, Al-Majlis Al-A'la Al-Kibar Al-Ulama, for example, uh, they're mostly men. I mean, what is the percentage of women there? Uh, you know, it's not even, it's certainly not 50% or even 30%. It's more like 0%. And you see that in so many of the fiqh councils. If you do have women, like the fiqh council of North America, they have, I think, three women out of 19 men and 19 people. Uh, but, but we really need to see more women um, in decision-making uh, positions when it comes to fiqh and these various different councils. Um, we need to see them in religious leadership positions and we need to see their voice uh, valued and respected. Well, thank you for being on uh, this episode of Women of the Middle East podcast. This season has been dedicated uh, to um, uh, covering this amazing, uh, incredible book. 
Um, we do hope that we would all work together in disseminating the knowledge that is, of course, a part of this book, but also in uh, promoting um, the woman behind the book, uh, whom um, I had, you know, uh, the pleasure of meeting. Thank you so much, Doctora. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Amel, for uh, providing me with this opportunity and for the great work that you're doing in uh, promoting women's scholarship and justice and beauty uh, in in Muslim societies and Muslim marriage uh, in particular. Thank you so much. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode of season five. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or via email. This is Women of the Middle East podcast.